Good morning. It's good to see y'all. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue to consider who you are, Lord, I ask that we would continue to plummet the depths of your beauty, of your holiness, and of our desperate need for you, God. Especially today, as we consider that your word is our life to us, and specifically, it is the authority in our life to command us for our good. God, I ask that if our hearts are hard right now, that you would soften them. I ask if there's any sin in our lives, that you would cleanse us from it right now, Lord, in a millisecond. If there's any uh, uh, preoccupation with anything but you right now, Lord, I ask by the power of your Spirit that you would arrest that and set us free to love you and to thank you for who you are and what you've done for your glory and our joy. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This is a part two of a series called God's Word, Our Life. And uh, this morning our title is Authority to Command Our Lives for Good. Last week focused on four things. How did the Word of God come to us? It came to us, first of all, in the being of Jesus Christ and His Son. But not only did it come to us in the being of His Son, it also came to us by God's speech. God spoke. He spoke the worlds into existence. He decreed it. He spoke through His prophets. We also saw that God has given us His Word through this book. How many of you have your book with you this morning? Called the Bible. Even if it's an iPod, it counts. Okay? Got to flow, go with the flow here. So, God has spoken to us in this book. And then lastly, we looked at that what God has spoken to us really is a gift. He, it, he has gifted us with revealing Himself to us. He's shown us that true treasure, true joy, true profit, true success only comes from knowing this Word abiding in it, and letting it transform our lives. Well, this morning I want to talk about what it means for God's authority to command our lives for good. And what that means, essentially, is that whatever God has said in all of Scripture, we are to believe and obey. If we don't, we are disobeying God. Jesus said in John 17, 7, or John 17, 17, Sanctify them in your truth, Father. Your word is truth. So, most Christians agree that the Bible is our authority in some way or another, wouldn't you say? But just in what way does the Bible itself claim to be our authority? Not only that, how do we become convinced that the words in the Bible are true? And because they are true, they are worthy to command us for our good. Those three things we want to consider today. 
So this Word of God, the authority of Scripture, what's it based on? Anybody? It's based on God. Yes. Very good. Yes. Amen. Way to go, Alexandra. It's based on God. Last week we saw that God has spoken to us, specifically in His Son, who is not only the Word of God, but is the Word of God in the flesh. He dwelt among us. We saw His glory, that of the the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. So whenever you're going to get Jesus, you're going to get grace, and you're also going to get truth. And you're either going to hate it or you're going to love it. There's no in-between. But this Son, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2, says this, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. He made the world. God has spoken. I come from a branch of Christianity that was very, very into, I want to hear a word from the Lord. And that was a word that was not necessarily Scripture, but that I, in my own prayer closet, uh, I would um, sense like God was speaking to me. And uh, that's fine if you think God is speaking to you, so long as you understand what it means for God to speak to you by what He has already spoken It's really important that we get this because we do not want to be following deceptive spirits. We do not want to be following, ultimately, some human being that's guiding us because the Spirit of the Lord is on them, quote-unquote, and they have the Word of God for us, apart from Scripture. The bottom line is this. The degree to which any one of us, including and especially a preacher, is submitted to the Word of God, to that degree and only to that degree are they walking in God's authority. To the degree to which they are not submitted to the Word of God, to that degree, they're in disobedience. And please remember that so that you don't go astray and follow a David Koresh. Everybody listens to somebody. Everybody listens to somebody. Remember Bob Dylan's song, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. The bottom line is, all of us give our ear to someone. The question is, is what we are giving our ear to worthy of our allegiance, of our obedience, of our all in all? Well, I think that Scripture is that which we are to give our allegiance to, our obedience, our all in all, because specifically God speaks to us through this Word. Now when we're dealing with Scripture's authority, here's what we're talking about. All the words in the Scriptures are God's words. And they are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey Any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. All of us build our lives on two foundations. One foundation stinks, 
The other one is the sure thing. The foundation that stinks is the foundation that's on sand. And anybody who's been in construction knows before you erect the building, you've got to have the foundation. If your foundation's messed up, your building is not going to do well. Jesus said that each and every one of us builds our lives on something. He said the fool builds his life. Here's the fool. The fool is a churchgoer who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice. The wise builder is the person who not only hears the word of the Lord, but obeys it. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There's something intricately woven to the hearing of the word and faith. The hearing of the word and trusting God. The hearing of the word. Well, there's, there's several things here under the authority of Scripture. Uh, first of all, there is what's called the internal witness of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, the introductory statement that says, Thus says the Lord, is the introductory statement that the prophets used so that the people who were before them would be ready and understand, Hey, these aren't my words. They're coming to me from God. They are God's words. You've got in the Old Testament the absolutely authoritative Word of God, but this authoritative Word of God comes through prophets. Comes through men. When they spoke, in the way they spoke, in God's name, Every word that they spoke had to come from God or they would be considered a false prophet. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 20. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. God is very, very serious about who is representing him. Again, God spoke through the prophets in Jeremiah 37, verse 1 through 2. The text reads like this, Now Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had made king in the land of Judah, reigned as king in place of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he, nor his servants, nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord which he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. They ignored God's law which came through God's man. What does this tell us? It tells that this, that when that prophet was speaking on behalf of the Lord, and he in fact was a prophet, that it was God's very words. That's what that tells us. Now in the New Testament, that's the Old Testament, the New Testament has a supremely high view of what we call uh, the Old Testament. For example, Paul, in 2 Timothy 3.16, why don't you go there? 2 Timothy 3.16 
Paul is instructing Timothy, and he is dealing with a timid man who has been given charge to set straight both the gospel and its practice in the church. And in this second letter, he is encouraging Timothy to remember that he has been taught the scriptures from his grandmother, from his youth, scriptures that were to make him wise unto salvation. And then he says this, verse 16, says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, this term scripture is, is a Greek word graphe, where we get our word graphic from. And it refers to the Old Testament written scriptures. When Paul is writing, although his letters were in circulation in the early church, uh, the gospel that he preached and the early church preached from was from the Law and the Prophets and the Writings. They had that, the scrolls. They had that. They didn't have what we have, by and large, this inscripturated New Testament where we've got the words of our Lord and of His apostles. So here, the term deals with all of Scripture. Now, how do we come to this deduction? How, 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 did, how did we do this? Well, every single time this word, graphe, is used in the New Testament, every single time, it always refers to Old Testament texts. All the time. Now these scriptures, the text says that they are inspired, they are God-breathed. In other words, these Old Testament scriptures, not some, but all. You know the ones that bore you and put you to sleep because you're sleeping when you're half, because you're reading when you're half asleep? And you're going, what the heck is this all about? What's, what's this genealogy all about, man? You know, I got to go to work. All of those things, even those things that to you seem boring, should be a reminder to you of how much more you and I need to grow in our understanding of how all of these things that have been written are pointing to Christ, are pointing, uh, expressing the gospel in myriad ways. But anyway, so God is the source of the scriptures, and these scriptures are the result of his action. God has spoken. God has initiated. I want to come back to 2 Timothy later uh, at the end for our application, but right now I want to point out that the words of God, the Word of God, if you can think about it this way, the Bible, the Scriptures are the Word of God in the words of men. Can you say that? The Scriptures are the Word of God in the words of men. And that's important. Because although um, uh, God is completely and totally different than us, He has condescended and communicated to us creatures in a way that we can understand through language. How about Peter's view? We looked at Paul's view. How about Peter's view of the Old Testament Scriptures? Second uh, Peter 1, verse 21, talks about that there is no prophecy that was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit 
spoke from God. Now, what precedes that verse, that verse 21? Let me read it to you. Verse, starting with verse 16. 2 Timothy uh, 2, 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Verse 20, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There's several observations here. First of all, Peter's saying, hey, uh, I know a tall tale when, I'm, when I hear one, and I'm not giving you one right now. He knows the difference between a fabricated story and the real thing. That's the first thing he's saying. I'm an eyewitness. I actually saw and actually heard on the holy mountain Jesus and the Father speak. Peter's not denying completely that human volition uh, or, or human personality uh, is not an aspect of Scripture being written. What he is pointing out is that the ultimate source of these writings is the Spirit of God. It is God the Spirit. And that's what he's saying. Now, why am I going through the, you know, why, why are we doing this? Because I want to entice you, I want to persuade you to consider that the Bible that is in your lap and gathers dust on your bookshelves is the greatest treasure ever given to you by God. And People have paid dearly for you and I to have it here. People have died to make sure that we can get this Bible into our language. There are many things in here that we all give ourselves to. I know it. It's just how we are as human beings. When God's affections, by means of the Word of God, through the Spirit's power, doesn't captivate us, what takes place is something else will. Something else will captivate us. If we don't have a home, we'll want a home. If we're single, we want to be married. If we're married, we, want, we wish we were single. <laughs> if we don't have kids, we wish we had kids. If we got kids, we wonder why in the world did I have any kids? Parents, have you ever felt that way? I guarantee you, your parents felt that way about you too, and me. I mean, you know, well, from where does that come? It comes from losing sight of what's important. It comes from losing sight of, you know, God has me here. God has blessed me with this lot that we read in Psalm 16 this morning. That God has apportioned 
a lot to each and every one of us. When we get our eyes off of that, we forget what this is all about. So we looked at Peter, we looked at Paul, now let's look at Jesus. His view of Old Testament scriptures is very, very instructive and should really humble us. I'm going to ask a question, and if you don't feel like answering it, don't. By a show of hands, how many of you read the New Testament more than the Old Testament? Raise a hand. Okay. How many of you have read through the New Testament? Okay. How many of you have read through the Old Testament? Okay. How many of you know what the law, the writing, and the prophets is? Okay. Two, three. The law is the first five books. Right? The prophets are, you know, the historical books, all the prophets. The writings are the wisdom literature, the poetry. Okay. Very good. When was the last time you guys read Deuteronomy? <laughs> That's good. In the, in the wilderness, in the temptation, Matthew 4.4. 4. Jesus says to the devil this, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 to combat every temptation and every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, you know what Jesus is quoting? Written Scripture. He is quoting written Scripture. Deuteronomy 8.3, I want to read this to you. Talking to, God is talking to Israel. He says, He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone but, by, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. In the wilderness, Israel failed. In the wilderness, Jesus succeeded. Israel failed because they neglected His Word. Jesus succeeded triumphantly because He ate of His Word. Now, question. Does God breathed apply to the New Testament? Does this term grafe apply to the New Testament? Are the New Testament writings also to be considered Scripture in the technical use of the word? Always referring to Old Testament canonical texts. Is the, is the New Testament equally inspired? Okay, 2 Peter 3, 15-16. Yes, I believe it is. Let me argue for it from Scripture. First of all, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. You say that God says something He didn't say through His prophets and apostles? You are preparing yourself for destruction. 
That's damnation, folks. That's not just having a bad life and suffering a lot. That's, that's being lost. Remember, God's word is our very life. To neglect it is to embrace death in one degree or another. You want fellowship with Jesus? You want that sweet fellowship with Jesus? This is foundational to that sweet fellowship. You need wisdom because you have no idea what to do in a situation in your life. Pour over the Word. Pray. Ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you. Are you discouraged? Do you feel like you can't go on anymore? Because life's so difficult. Pour out your soul to the Lord. Feed on His Word. He'll bring you through it. Peter's account here demonstrates that he considered Paul's writings to be subordinate to? No. On par with the Old Testament Scriptures. He, Peter's awareness here is indicated that Paul's letters were in circulation. Peter knew. Or else he couldn't say that. He, he was aware of these circulating epistles. It also points out that very early on in the history of the church, Paul's letters were considered to be God's written word as the Old Testament Scriptures. Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians 4 or 5, where it says that God gave gifts to the church, some apostles, prophets, uh, uh, evangelists, pastor teachers, for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, so we might grow up and... Um, you know, I forget the rest of it, but in other words, so that we might do what God has destined for us to do. How many of you see Luke as an apostle? Do you think Luke is an apostle? You're right, Luke is not an apostle. And yet, Luke has two books that are inspired. I don't know how that happened. I don't know. Paul's account from Luke's writings, look at this. 1 Timothy 5.18 says this. And this is an Old Testament scripture. Paul is taking both Deuteronomy 25.4 and Luke 10.7 and he's squishing them together in verse 18. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.18 says this. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, I want you to note that the laborer is worthy of his wages is not in Deuteronomy 25.4. It's not. In fact, Deuteronomy 25.4 says this, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And God is giving them all kinds of uh, commandments. But that's all that that text says. Luke 10.7 says, Jesus is telling the disciples that he's sending out, when you go into a village or you go to a place, if you find a place that, that receives you, you know, it's a house of peace, stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. And what Paul here is doing is he's attributing Luke's writings to be on par with Scripture. How about Paul's account of his own writings? Do you think Paul realized and understood that what he was writing was Scripture? He did. He did. 1 Corinthians 14.37, for example, says, 
What I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. Now in this context in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is setting straight the order of worship in the Corinthian church. There was a lot of disorder. And Paul had to deal with a church that was very puffed up, thought they were all that. They uh, were really, really pompous and thought they knew a lot. And Paul had to set things in order. Well, in 1 Corinthians 14.37, he's saying, um, if you disobey what I'm telling you, you're disobeying God. And by the way, if you don't recognize me, you're not recognized. You're not recognized. Again, authority. Now, there's an objection to this. Uh, in the New Testament writings, are the New Testament writings really divinely sanctioned? For example, uh, in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7.12, Paul does something. I want you to go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is uh, giving commands regarding marital relations, uh, divorce, whether somebody is married, uh, etc. Verse 12 says this, But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. Now what does that sound like? that God is not speaking through him in this portion. I don't say this to you, the Lord says this to you. Doesn't it seem like that? But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. What's going on here? Well, go to verse 25. Listen to this. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Now, when he says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my opinion, what's going on here? What's going on here is this, is that Paul, when he got saved, he, um, he went to the pillars in Jerusalem and hung out with them for a while to make sure that this revelation that he got from Jesus was in accord with what Jesus had already revealed to the apostles. So when you've got uh, Paul saying that he's not received any earthly instruction uh, here, he hasn't received anything from the Lord, he's saying there's no gospel tradition that's already been handed down. Jesus hasn't specifically spoken about, for example, what do I do with virgins? How do I instruct them? So when he's saying, now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy, it's equally on par with the authority of Christ. Why? Because John 14, recall when Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to send you another one like me, the Comforter. He's going to take of mine and show it to you. He's going to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Again, the agency of the Spirit is here. It's not that Paul 
uh, at one time he's speaking and it's not Scripture, or that another time it is Scripture. No, what it is is that there are, are times that Jesus specifically deals with, for example, divorce and remarriage. But at other times, he doesn't say anything in the Gospels about how do you deal with virgins. And that's what's going on here. So when he's saying, I I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy, he's indicating that his own instruction and judgment is on par with Christ's authority. Now, how can this be? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Now, let's go here. So, we've looked at, thus far, I've argued that the authority of Scripture is based on God. And this God is the God who speaks. He has spoken to us through His Son, He has spoken to us through His prophets and apostles. And specifically, He is speaking to us through Scripture, written Scripture, which is our authority. So, all the words of Scripture are God's words, and the Bible makes this claim about itself, both Old and New Testament. Now, to say that the Bible claims to be God's Word is one thing. But let's face it, to be convinced that it's God's Word is another, isn't it? Don't you ever have doubts? You better. If you're a human being, you better have doubts because if you say you don't have doubts, you're not in touch with your finitude. That means that you lack. There's only one in this galaxy that is omniscient, which means to know everything, and that is God alone. Part of experiencing doubt in the Christian's life, and even the non-believer's life, is just another signpost that we're creatures, not the Creator. But thank God He has given us ways of getting at what's gnawing us and coming to see the truth. Let's look at this. Uh, to be convinced that Scripture actually is God's Word is going to affect the way you make decisions. If you do not think God's Word has everything that you need for your life, you're not going to go to it. Well, does that mean that I go to the Word of God to, to, sh- to show me you know how to perform open-heart surgery? No. But the God of creation who created that heart also gave the surgeon through what's called general revelation, that is, knowledge that God gives to all people through the creation, through reason, through discovery, how to aid, how to better our situation. So the authority of God's Word convinces us. Now, how does this authority convince us? I think in two ways. It convinces us, it uh, it comes to us, this conviction, through both knowing and showing. What do I mean by that? We know this authority by the Spirit's power who speaks in and through the words of the Bible. He teaches us what has been freely given to us. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, 
so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. There is a knowing God. There is a knowing of Scripture that happens in the believer and it is through the Spirit's power. Now I want to make a distinction between somebody who is an able reader, able reader on this side, and then a willing receiver on this side. You get that? Two columns. Able reader, willing receiver. First of all, an able reader is a person who can read better than I can, who can understand sentences and paragraphs way better than I can. They can read this Bible and actually understand the argument that, for example, Paul is giving here in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. But they don't trust it. They don't believe it. In fact, it's foolishness to them. Why? Something hasn't happened. The Spirit has not made that text, not only that it's words, but it's treasure from God. They have not experienced God making them alive. The only reason you trust God, ultimately, is because God did a miracle in your life. You did not go looking for Jesus. Come on. Did you go looking for Jesus? Where, where are you going to go looking for Him? You know, one day, you know, you're on the street, hung over, 3 a.m. in the morning, getting up, and you're going, oh, I'm still alive. You know, what the heck's going on here? And then another day, you find yourself crying out to God, realizing there's more to life. How the heck did that happen? I think the Bible teaches by the Spirit. Now, what's, who's a willing receiver? This willing receiver maybe doesn't understand how to get at the, the meaning of texts as well as that person that can read very well. And yet, what they do understand, they willingly receive, they love Christ, they make it their goal to walk with Him. See the distinction? So the able one versus the willing one. Jesus said this in John 10.27, My sheep hear my voice. The voice of another they will not listen to. If you are His, you will hear Him, who is the Word, who has spoken to us. Does that make any sense? I'm getting these looks from you guys like, huh? Is this unclear? But now, we show, so we know, we know this authority, this, that the Scripture is true. We know this by the Spirit's power. We show this authority through evidences. You know what I mean by evidences? I mean general revelation. I mean God has given access to a lot of knowledge that points to Him, to both believer and non-believer alike. We know this through reason, through logic. It comes to our aid. Now here's where we gather historical data, where archaeological diggings help us understand certain things, where philosophical argumentation and scientific data, we bring those things to bear on that which Scripture teaches, 
And that's how we show it. Now, a quick word on evidences. You know, how much power do they have? Ultimately, God uses means. And there are strongholds in every one of our lives, ideas that exalt themselves above the knowledge of Christ. In order for those ideas, those fortresses, to be brought down, they must be brought down with the truth. And all truth truly is God's truth. He is truth. He is the truth. So, uh, but the bottom line is, unless the Holy Spirit moves on a human being, you have no hope. I have no hope. So, the authority of Scripture is based on God's person. This internal witness is also revealed in the truthfulness of this witness. So, internal witness is the Old Testament and New Testament. But in this Old Testament and New Testament, you know what we see there? That this witness is true. Are you going to submit to something you think's a lie? Come on, I want to hear. You know, I got any takers here? You you will? I got a taker over there. I hope not. We don't do that. Kids don't do that. Anybody in their right mind does not do that. If you think something's not true, you're not going to trust it. You're definitely not going to obey it. You're not going to put yourself under it. You're going to fight it. You're going to resist it. So, the truthfulness of this witness, how does it come to us? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3, I think is huge. Paul argues for the historicity of the gospel. That God, from Genesis, had a plan, something actually took place in the garden, disobedience, Holy God, sinful human, you're out of the garden. Now he spends all this time prophesying Messiah's coming in Christ. So Christ Messiah, he comes, dies on the cross, bridges the gap between God and man, or mankind, you know, girls and boys, whatever, okay? And now you have an opportunity to respond. You need to repent, because if you don't, you're doomed. You're doomed. But Paul grounds, he grounds the historicity of their message to its authority and its reliability. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And He appeared to all kinds of people. And last of all, He appeared to Him. Verse 20 says this, But now Christ has been raised. Oh, no, wait. If Christ has not been raised? Okay, yeah. Verse 16. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Go invest your money somewhere else. Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. What's he saying? Look, Corinthians. 
what I preach to you, this gospel is real, it's true, and if it is not, then forget everything I said. Go, eat, drink, and be merry, because today we live, tomorrow we die. Be a complete and total hedonist. Go for it. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live life. There is no afterlife. If there's no God, there is no afterlife. But there is a God. There is an afterlife. And Christ Jesus, our King, conquered sin, hell, the grave. So the essence of the authority of Scripture is that God has spoken truthfully. It compels us to believe and obey its commands specifically because they're based on God's character. And Scripture can be trusted because God does not lie nor is able to lie. Titus 1, verses 1 through 2, Hebrews 6, 18. Therefore, all the words of Scripture, all the words of Scripture are completely true and without error in any part. Psalm 12, 6, the Lord's words are said to be pure. Psalm 19 says that the law of the Lord is perfect. It is whole. It causes your soul to come back to God. Jesus, John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth, Father. Your word is truth. God's words prove true. Proverbs 35, God's word is sure. Psalm 119.89, God's word is eternal. Matthew 24.35 says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So, God's words are the ultimate standard of truth, and written scripture is thus our final authority. Jesus said in John 17.17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Check this out. Jesus here does not use the adjective for truth, but rather the noun. He does not say that God's word is true, which it is, but he says that truth is but, but he says that it is truth itself. Remember the word came to us in his son. What do we know of Jesus? What did he say? I am the way the Truth and the life. So written scripture is our final authority. Why? Because God has spoken. God has spoken through the prophets and the apostles. Peter even says, hey, I had an incredible experience with Jesus. But you know what? You better listen to this more sure word of prophecy. Because you're in the dark and this scripture is a lamp to you. Finally, I want to go back to 2 Timothy 3. The Word of God has authority to command our lives for good. And this is what I want us to take home with us. God's Word, God's Word, because it comes from Him, because it is true, because it comes from the One who sustains your ability to keep tracking or veering off somewhere right now. The fact that you can breathe 
It's because of God's Word. Jesus is upholding everything. Everything. And it's because of this Word that you and I live. Well, this Word has authority to command our lives for good. Listen to verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. All of it. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Okay, so it's profitable. The Word of God is profitable. That means Genesis to Revelation. Even if you don't understand it, just read it. Just read the Word. Read it. And read it out loud. Keep you awake. Faith comes by hearing and hear by the Word. Something happens when you read it out loud. It's different. Anyway, but read it. It's first of all profitable for teaching. Why is that? Well, because all of Scripture is sourced in the One who upholds all things. Why? Because this Word of His power is trustworthy. Why? Because it is grounded in who He is. He is truth. Do you realize that lies? There is someone in the Gospels who is called the father of lies. Who is that? Who? Yeah, the devil, Satan. He's called the father of lies. Every time he speaks, he speaks from his nature. He's twisted. He's forked tongue. Every single time he speaks, it comes from a deceptive angle. Every single time. Every single time. But God's not like that. Why would you not want a prophet? And everybody's got an angle, right? Everybody's out for something. Everyone in this room treasures something. Everybody. The psalmist said, Your word, O Lord, to me is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. In Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which the wisdom is grounded in the teaching of the law. This teaching of the law is more precious than rubies. And nothing, nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing! And yet we're, we're, we have this fight where we're desiring all kinds of other things. It's a fight. It's real. And all of us have to deal with this. So it's profitable for teaching. It's also profitable for reproof. And this is where our error is refuted and our sin is exposed. You don't think you're profiting much when somebody's refuting what you hold to be true and you realize, oh my gosh, the force of their argument is destroying what I held to be once true. Have any of you experienced that and felt that way? I have. Can, I, can anybody else? Yes? Yes, you can respond, you know. Okay. It's also profitable for correction. Parents, you all love this one. It's profitable for correction. This is where things are set right, where we are able here to stand balanced, not crooked. It not only applies to your parenting, it applies to your mothering and fathering. It applies to your being a spouse. It applies to how you deal with the people you work with. It just applies. So many ways. It's also profitable for training in righteousness. 
And this is where instruction and discipline come to bear on living a life that exalts God. I was talking to my daughter the other day how easy it is to let voices tell us on TV what beauty is, what true treasure is, what love is, what happiness looks like. And it's so contrary to Scripture. (laughs) It's so contrary to American culture. We like it easy. I want to, you know, I want to make sure that I'm safe. I lock my car. I lock my home. I buy insurance, medical insurance. I buy renter's insurance, homeowner's insurance. I buy death insurance. We want to cover ourselves. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with that. Understand that God might be calling us to something that what our society so treasures, safety, I mean, it can be gone in a blink of an eye. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, the psalmist says, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Verse 17, this is profitable, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This profitability, when you are instructed in the Scripture, and specifically he's dealing with Timothy here, as a leader in the church who is to know the Gospel, preach it rightly, and trust it to faithful men, and make sure that the church is functioning in the order in which God has created it to function. And he's saying, for you, Timothy, to handle the task at hand, or to meet the ministry demands, head on, with confidence, this is going to happen as a result of your scriptural formation. As a result of your scriptural formation. So, specifically, he's talking to Timothy and his leadership. Generally, I think he's speaking to us. I think he's speaking to us. I think we forget, uh, Christians, forget that you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, which is God's. If for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, something's got to precede that kind of a statement to be a reality in my life. And what is it? It's I am bottom line submitted under the authority of God's Word. This authority has authority to command what for us? Our good. Our good. So God's Word is our life and has authority to command our lives for good. God has spoken through the prophets and the apostles. God has given us this book. And God's book is for our good. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word is a source of our life. It's here. Your authority to command our lives for our good is good. I pray, Lord, that you would make us a people that strategizes our living, a people that redeems the time for the days are evil, 
A people that does not squander reading your word and meditating on it. A people that is seen as the people of the book. May we be seen as people of the book so that our delight would be in you, you who are the source of everlasting joy, life and glory. You are the lover of our souls. You're the champion of our lives. You're the one who gives us breath. May we know this gospel in such a way that men see our good deeds and glorify you who art in heaven, O Father. Hallowed be your name. Amen.